how you've got AI coming into being, you've got ChatGPT, and when I'm using those, they are part of the extended cognitive environment that I'm working in to help me understand the information that I'm seeing. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are a wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoy this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Danny Hatcher. Danny is a YouTuber, blogger, author, and podcaster, helping people be more intentional and organized with their time, and shares useful insights from the latest in educational science. You can find more on his work at dannyhatcher.com and on YouTube at Danny Hatcher. In this episode, you will learn about skill acquisition, ecological dynamics, shifting from notion to obsidian, exploring interests, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Danny's fantastic insights. Danny, it's a delight to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So you are an expert in let's call it information productivity, using tools and uh, expanding your knowledge and uh, being able to be effective. So I'd love to just hear that, the story of the journey. You know, how did you come to be where you are? Yeah, yeah. Um, So for a bit of background, my undergraduate degree is in sports coaching. And some people may assume that's a guy with a whistle on the sideline, but that's far from the truth. Uh, Most of my research is in pedagogy, andragogy, epistemology, philosophy, and then all of the other related learning fields inside of sport, which obviously is biomechanics, anatomy, physiology. So it covers essentially every element of human learning and human development, uh, which obviously has a lot of information, a lot of knowledge. And when I was coming towards the end of my undergraduate degree, I found a tool called Notion. (laughs) Um, It was in beta right at the very start. It didn't have any databases, which is what most people are familiar with now. So I was a very early adopter. And as I went through my master's degree in strength and conditioning, I carried on using it. And it was useful in picking out information, but I was struggling to connect some ideas and link things and I was losing information. And I I fell into a trap of having to create all the databases and all the pages and do loads of stuff with the, with Notion. I was, and I ended up doing more with Notion than with information. I was, I was building out templates and building out databases and I forgot what I was actually meant to be working on. So I did a, a switch from Notion to what I now use, which is Obsidian. And my research is in a similar field. I still look at educational science, but it's much easier and quicker to manage information with the system that I currently have now, which is what I share online, which is on YouTube, uh, mainly on YouTube. And then I do have a podcast where I talk in depth about some of the other related concepts, which I'm sure we'll allude to today. 
Fantastic. So part of it is building your knowledge. Part of it is also building your meta knowledge, as it were, the ability to uh, to be more effective at at being able to, to to create and build that. Yes. Yeah. So the the educational science field is. I wouldn't say it's split, but there are there are two perspectives or paradigms of thought when it comes to learning, memory, understanding, one being cognitive psychology, which is very popular, that encompasses the neuroscience, neuropsychology, and all of the, what I would class as traditional general population knowledge where people see learning, I, I have a shorter working memory or my short-term memory is bad, that is cognitive psychology. And then the view, the, the perspective that I personally favour and lean towards is ecological dynamics, which is from ecological psychology, and that takes a, a different route. It ends ends at the same point, but takes a different perspective, and that mainly comes from skill acquisition in motor learning, so learning physical skills. And that's where a lot of the research is at the moment. Uh, and my, my personal approach using ecological dynamics has changed the way that I use my tools, use Obsidian as my my note taker, as it were. Uh, and then I use Zotero, which is a reference manager, reference manager to bring in all of the, I don't want to say information, because in ecological dynamics, information isn't the same as when we're talking about cognitive psychology information. Uh, information for me is patterns that I'm seeing in an environment not just a word, it's the pattern between the word and the environment or the environment and the organism, in my case, me. So Zotero is my content manager, <laughs> not necessarily information manager. Um, hopefully that makes sense. So so, in the, so, so the ecological you refer to, so to, you know, I think, could we frame that as the environment? And so this idea of then the the idea of the extended mind, where the, the mind or the learning is then uh, beyond the... Uh, the, what's inside our skulls? Yes, extended into the environment. I wouldn't say learning is extended as in into the environment. I would say the environment is part of cognition, depending on the the, um, the mark of the cognitive that you choose to use with extended cognition, whether it is everything inside of my brain is cognition or it's everything inside of my body. So embodied cognition, I'm counting with my fingers. So is that cognition or is that not quite cognition? And then you have the fully like leaning one way where everything is cognition, everything in your environment is, which I don't think that's true because then I could say the wall in front of me is part of cognition, which I don't think is logical or rational to think about. So there's got to be a, a barrier or a line to say, this is part of my cognition. And inside of ecological dynamics, there is a, a parts that build up systems, which is the dynamical systems element. Uh, so I'm a part, my phone is a part, my computer is a part inside of this system of learning. And when my phone is on, it's part of the system. When it's off, it's not part of the system, uh, which is why it's dynamic. And what I do is I create a, an environment using the tech on my computers, so Obsidian as part of a learning environment, so Terra as well. And then with all the tools now, you've got AI coming into being, you've got ChatGPT, and when I'm using those, they are part of the extended cognitive environment that I'm working in to help me understand the information that I'm seeing from social media, from academic articles, from blogs, journals, podcasts, videos, um, and all the, the content sources. So, so is this way of thinking, was that informed by the fact that you've come from a sports background, or is that uh, not related? I, I think it's heavily impacted by my sports background because ecological dynamics is, like, like I mentioned earlier, is 
really only prevalent inside of scale acquisition research. And when you try and find ecological dynamics on the internet, you have to look for ecological dynamics in scale acquisition. Otherwise, it will come up with ecology and um, ecosystems of animals and nature, which it's related. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, it's still related because it's part of dynamical systems. But the ecological dynamics inside of learning is mainly skill acquisition because it comes down to visual perception. What is perception? How does the information, so indirect or direct information, how is that perceived? And then how do we, uh, <laughs> trying to avoid jargon here, but how do we attune our attention to certain information that we are perceiving from the environment? Uh, so instead of it being, I have I'm, I'm using my prior knowledge, which is cognitive psychology. I'm using my memory. Instead of using all of the prior knowledge to create a prediction of what can happen, I'm using prospective control. So I'm looking at all the information I have inside of the environment, and that's enough because it's direct information. I'm still using information that's not in that exact moment in time because we, we do have stuff stored. Um, so when I'm learning inside of an environment, I'm using the information, I'm perceiving the information straight away, and then I'm creating the environment and information or ideas are emerging from the environment I've created. So when I'm consuming content online, for example, that's part of the environment. I'll pick out, I'll attune my attention to something that's notable. Uh, and that attunement, the metastable attenuation, <laughs> bring in a jargon, but essentially the, the focus that I have on certain terms will change with my expertise, my bias, my focus at that point in time. So when I'm reading something for the first time, I may be unfamiliar with it. So I'm not that attuned to the information inside of that article. So I'll take out information, put it in Obsidian. The second time I read it, I maybe have higher expertise in that field, in that environment, in that idea. I've consolidated some thoughts. So now my attention, my attunement of information is slightly different. Now I'm noticing things that I didn't notice the first time around, which is why I don't actually read that many books. I reread books <laughs> because they are they are teaching me something different each time I look at them because my own understanding of whatever the concept is they're talking about has shifted in one way or another. So I mean this this goes to you know what I frame as knowledge development, you know the process of knowledge is accretes it grows, it builds on on itself. And so sometimes there is substitution as you're replacing existing frameworks and mental models, but often it is building on or getting greater refinement or or doing that. And uh, so I suppose it gets us to part of your expertise in how it is that we can best capture those elements which on which we can build or which can inform us or can make us develop our skills, develop our capabilities. So, love. So the actually, let's start with you know just at a conceptual level, and we'll perhaps dig into the tools at the moment. I mean, so what what is what do you look for in your tools for thinking, and how you implement it? What is how do they fit within your you know cognition or perception or daily life? What 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 is their role? How do they how do they how, be, how do they become part of you? The the easiest way to for me to explain this is I want it to be as simple as possible. I don't want to have to worry about what buttons to push, where to store things, how to save anything, or worry about how the tech is working. I just want to add it, which simply put is by pushing a plus button of some sort, 
typing in whatever it is that I need to type in or speak in, however you uh, can uh, capture the information, and then it is stored somewhere that I can find quickly. That's all I want tech to do. <laughs> it's just store it somewhere, capture it easy, store it somewhere that I don't have to think about. I can just carry on with whatever the train of thought is that I have. Um, and depending on the environment I'm in, whether it is I'm sitting at my desk here and I've got my two screens in front of me, or whether it is I'm walking the dog uh, on the field and I've got like no internet connection, I don't want there to be a friction point in any environment that I'm in. Uh, so I select tools that help me do that. So there's the the capturing, and I think you know one of the things which you emphasize in you know your work that I've seen is uh, you know the networks, as in the the connect you know what are the connections between the ideas. So so part of it is to be able to capture that, then it's to be able to how it is I, I presume as seamlessly as possible, sort of build that uh, connected structure of these ideas in which is way that's useful to you. So this is I think. I think this is a misconception with those that are familiar with Obsidian and Rome research with the graph view and how the connectedness is really beneficial and useful. I can see that a sort of graph behind you is it's great for an overview, but oftentimes when you're working and you have expertise in a field, there are so many connections, it's very difficult to actually see what's going on. So I personally don't use the graph view at all inside of Obsidian. Uh, I am using a more recent addition to Obsidian called a canvas, which is essentially just a mind map, but that's specific in the environment I'm working in. So if I'm working on an essay, then I will mind map stuff out. So when I'm capturing information, I'm not thinking about what this can relate to, what this can link to. I'm just consuming the information and going on wherever my mind goes at the time. So if I'm listening to a podcast and I have a question about it, I'll write the question about the comment that was made inside of the podcast inside of what I call a source note, a capture note, literature note, you can call it what you want, but it's just a place to put the information that I can go back to. Uh, and the reason it's a source is because it's got a link back to wherever it came from, whether that be a, an article or video or podcast, and that stays a source note. Source note, it stays just by itself individualized. I don't want to edit the source note because I want it to be specific to just that environment, just that thing. So if I do go back to it, I can see where I was, kind of like a, a checkpoint, as it were. The connections come with sources and then bringing that information into something tangible and useful, which to me is a research note. It's the logical step as a researcher, source and then research. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com course to find out more. Now back to the show. You know, a couple of ways which you've addressed in your work around the, the connections or the relationships is in tagging. And so folders or hierarchies are obviously fixed and structured and, and unwieldy. Tags can be a superior way to be able to have multiple ways of, you know, relating or clustering different concepts or notes. So how do you use you know, tags or other tools to be able to, I suppose, uh, group things together in a meaningful way. 
I personally see folders and tags as very structural. Uh, they're, they're less dynamic in the way that you can use them because when you tag something, you don't know exactly why. So if, for example, I click on a tag and I get 10 notes, I don't know exactly why note one is related to note three. It's just implicit because it's in the tag. So I would need to open note one and note three and try and work out why it's linked. Whereas if I create the link inside of the text and, for example, have a sentence saying um, ecological dynamics is different from information processing and I have ecological dynamics as a link and information processing as a link, um, when I say link, it's essentially a hyperlink when you click on something, but inside of an application like Obsidian, it takes you to another file inside of the app. That is explicit. I can I know exactly why ecological dynamics and information processing are linked. And you can do the same with a shopping list. Why is an apple on the shopping list? Oh, I don't have it for today. And you can link it to the day. So you can say, I didn't have apples in the house at that point in time. Um, and it can be expanded in lots of ways. So the way I see tags and folders are structures and organization structures. So if you do need to find something, you know roughly where it's going to be. Uh, but because of Obsidian, I very rarely use either of those formatted structures because search is so powerful. I can search any word uh, that's in a file. I can search any word in the entire folder system of Obsidian because Obsidian is local. So it's like a folder on your computer and I can search for any word inside of any file inside that folder. So I don't need to go into folders and have a look down the tree. I just search for the word and it will tell me where it is. Or I can search for a file very quickly, which is a, in Obsidian, it's called the quick switcher. So if I have a file, for example, on fake news, I can just type in fake news and then it will show me exactly what that file is. So if I was to search for anything, it's very, very quick. So tags and folders, I, I use folders for categories of information. So I have a research folder for all my research notes, a source folder for my source notes, but I never open them. I never go into them. They're just there. So they're stored in some structural way. And I only use tags because of a, a feature, a plugin inside of Obsidian that allows me to add what's called metadata or information specific to that type of note. So a source I know is going to have a URL. It's going to have a link back to wherever the source was. But my research note won't have a URL because my research note is going to have a variety of sources all over the place. So essentially the links are the sources and a tag gives me that information. The tag source says, okay, you need a URL for this. You need the authors for this and you need a title for this. But if it's tagged with research, I don't want any of that. I want what's the priority of this research file. What's the stage of this research file. So I use tags as types of notes to add specific parts of information on that type of note for me that's beneficial in my research work. So you mentioned earlier that you started off with Notion as a tool and discovered the potential of being able to capture information in useful ways. And or you used, then started using Obsidian, and then at a certain point, I gather you stopped using Notion with uh, Obsidian being uh, where everything happens. And I'd love to sort of hear, I suppose, that journey, particularly the transition point when you felt that Obsidian could uh, could do it all for you. Yeah, I must admit, to start with, I was I was all in on Notion. I'd used it at three years by that point. Um, I was completely sold. I was like, Notion is the best thing ever. Um, and I was deliberately <laughs> avoiding the issues that I had inside of Notion, which were the databases. 
Yes, they're very powerful, but I lost things. I forgot things. The linking was a little bit clunky and I just didn't accept that that was a problem. And when I first saw Obsidian, I saw a lot of code. I saw a lot of markdowns of hashes and symbols. I was like, oh, no, I'm not a developer. I'm, I'm sports. <laughs> I can't do this tech stuff. Uh, and they're talking about code blocks and JavaScript stuff and see it. I was like, no, not for me. And then I saw the graph view and I thought, that looks cool. Let's have a play. Uh, and I had a play and I didn't really like it much. But what I did like was the speed. And that, that, that immediately got me. Because Obsidian's local, it's extremely quick. It's like uh, Microsoft Word versus Google Docs. Google Docs is online. If your internet's a bit slow or you don't have internet, Google Docs is slow or unavailable. And it's the same with Notion, whereas Obsidian is fast, like always fast. I have I have a vault, a vault folder in Obsidian that has over 100,000 files in, and it's just as quick as my vault, my active vault with about 5,000 files. It was the 100,000 files vault was a test vault to, to, to purely test how, how Obsidian manages with all the plugins and stuff. Um, but it's just fast and quick. I thought, okay, I, I can deal with this. I can manage this. And it's Obsidian to start with was just like Microsoft Word, but gave me the folders, like the, the folder searches inside the app. And that's how I used it to start with. I just typed stuff into a file, just like a Microsoft, uh, uh, just like a, a Word doc. And then when I wanted to switch file, I just went to the folder system and switched to the file rather than having like seven or eight windows of <laughs> Word up on my computer trying to navigate which one it was when I was writing essays at uni because you can't write in inside of Notion for an essay because of citation and bibliography formatting, which you can do in Obsidian, which I do. Uh, and having experienced the speed and then the ease of just switching between files, I thought, you know what, I'll explore this a bit more two years later and... I'm very familiar with the tool now with uh, many of its capabilities. <laughs> Indeed. So most other things uh, uh, have courses to help people to get started and to build and to uh, use, it, use it well. I think just uh, as a, a point, I think something with Obsidian that a lot of people will see, not just Obsidian, a lot of other tech tools, is people using massively complicated spaces because they've got all these queries and other plugins, community plugins and buttons and different looks. And it's very hard to see Well, that doesn't look like mine because they've got a different CSS theme and some different snippets and they're using some code. You don't need any of that to use Obsidian. It is quite simply files on your system that you type in. If you come up with a problem something Obsidian has, Notion doesn't have from what I've experienced, is there's a massive community in Obsidian that will just solve your problem. If you can't do this, use maybe this plugin or maybe combine these two things together and you'll find the answer. So I'm yet to find something that you can't do in Obsidian, but then the question becomes, should you do it in Obsidian? <laughs> so, I mean, obviously Notion is... You know, essentially, it's a database. It's a relational database with a lot of lovely stuff on top of it. So that's sort of quite a different frame to Obsidian, which, as you say, is files, text, links, connections. So were there you know, any database-style things which you were using on Notion, which you've been able to put onto Obsidian, or just you weren't using those kinds of tools well, or you doing something else for those kinds of uh, uh, data? 
The the easy answer is no. <laughs> um, no, I don't use them, but you can. So if you want a table, you can use a table. If you want a Kanban, you can use a Kanban. You want a gallery, use a gallery. Um, what I found in Notion with the databases though, was I had loads of databases, loads of linked databases, loads of views. I, I've got a, a gallery, a calendar and a table all for the same information, but I never really used them. I all I've really used was the, the list. <laughs> I, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, or I need to look at this, and then I go into the Notion page and then just write. So even though the databases was nice, I never really used the views to do anything apart from just show me information, which in Obsidian, I can do through search. I, I don't need a database view. And with the Canvas plugin, core plugin, um, inside of Obsidian, which is a mind map, I now don't need any sort of database style view because I can have them all in one. Uh, for those that can't quite visualize this, essentially it's a mind map with a table view on one one spot. I drag my mouse to another spot and now I've got a gallery view or a Kanban view, or I could make a Kanban view inside of the mind map and it adds the information to the cards. So I get all of the database style views with added flexibility with a canvas, but then I get all of the complexity that I want, if I want it, with Obsidian, which you can have in Notion databases, but you're slightly restricted. A, a technical example inside of Notion is, you may be familiar, you can have a rollup, and a rollup brings in information from a relation property but you need the relation property to start with. So you then start building out all these properties and you can have a database in Notion with 20, 30 properties. But inside of Obsidian, you can do the exact same thing, four or five, because it's it's text-based and it doesn't require all of the linking between databases to work because Obsidian is just files. Uh, and that's something fundamental to Obsidian that obviously makes it fast, but makes it very, very easy to customize, edit, change. So the databases aren't needed, but a lot of people coming from Notion to Obsidian, I can understand why they'd be more familiar with that. Um, so yes, you can do it, but I personally don't. Yes. Yeah, well, certainly the introduction of Canvas to Obsidian has, has certainly significantly expanded its uh, usefulness and usability to a lot of people. And yeah, that's whole space where you can play visually whatever dimensions you want, it's, I think, uh, adds a lot, which, you know, and again, there's obviously something which is not there in Notion native, and but is provides another frame or perspective, which is valuable. So one, one of the things, well, a lot of people use Notion as a multi-user system. So it's for companies, they can do workflows or social media calendars or a million other things. Uh, I've experienced Obsidian very much as a single user. Is, so is that something to consider for uh, as Notion? Yeah, I don't think Notion and Obsidian are really almost uh, that, that directly comparable, but the multi-user thing is, is a, I suppose, a one frame on it. There is There are pros and cons. So Notion's shareability, yes, it's easier with Notion, hands down, um, but the privileges that you get with Notion are restricted because you have to give access to databases and then you have to work out what database do I give them? What what page can I give them? Uh, and it becomes a bit of a, a Tetris game of fitting all the pieces together so everyone has the right privileges uh, and working out what workspace to use. So there, there is a bit of sort of 
trust you have to have with that. And Obsidian, you can share uh, because they are just files. It's just like sharing a file on any cloud service. So you've got Google Docs, you've got Dropbox and all those sorts of things. I personally use uh, Collaborative Sync, which is using Obsidian Sync, but it allows you to add if the other person or other people have Sync on their account is they just have a vault on their computer. So a vault folder on their computer that's synced, which is just like for those familiar with Obsidian, it's just like the normal sync where you can sync up your computer with your laptop, with your phone, except the other person's account is treated as another device. So if you have a folder, a vault folder for work, then you can sync it with another person. Uh, and that's how I work where collaboratively with Obsidian. The only negative is because it is sync and it takes a second, maybe two, you can't do live collaboration as easily out of the box. You can do it, but it does require some technical understanding using something like VS Code um, or using the live share plugin, which gets technical. So if you're working in a big team with lots of people editing the same file at the same time, Notion. If you're a big team, but everyone has their own space, their own thing, you can still use Obsidian. Would I recommend it? Probably not. <laughs> I think it depends very much on what you're doing. But for researchers, I think I think it's invaluable because you can connect Zotero, which has shared libraries with Obsidian. So you can share your research in Zotero, then share the notes inside of Obsidian, and then work together on a manuscript on something rather than having to go backwards or forwards with Word doc drafts, <laughs> which is a pain. Um, Indeed. So yeah, that, that's some thoughts. <laughs> We've had a massive explosion in thinking tools over the last four years, really. I mean, a bit more, maybe. We have the Notion, Rome, uh, Obsidian, a whole array of other tools coming out at the moment. So what would you like to see in the next year or two, either with the development of Obsidian or other tools? Or what, what's missing now that you think would make a, create a really one, you know, add to what we have in terms of thinking tools? I think AI, AI has to play a part because of the way AI is moving forwards. The way I see the tool space at the moment, the, the tools for thought space at the moment, is not what I want to see more of, but actually what I want to see less of. <laughs> um, because there are so many tools trying to do the same thing, I wish they would just communicate and work together a bit more. Uh, you, you mentioned Rome, you've mentioned Obsidian, but you've got things like Tana, Nimbus Note, Mylar Note, and all of those other tools that are they're trying to do the same thing. And as a YouTube creator, I get emails from lots of developers saying, we've created this new tool. And I always respond to them and say, why would I use yours over Obsidian? And I have not found a response yet where they say, oh, well, we can do this that Obsidian can't. So my question is, okay, why are you creating a new tool when you could develop and enhance the ones that already work that we already have? So what I would want to see is more of a community effort to build out the tools that we have rather than building more tools to pick from. I think that's a great uh, great point, though I'm not sure that uh, the world's <laughs> going to listen. <laughs> no, no, everyone wants their, uh, their, their big app to be the one to go to. So every, I, yes. I, I don't want to say don't develop your own app because obviously you need to develop those skills as part of learning. Uh, and there is certainly... Uh, an issue with adding to a community because the community plugins in Obsidian is kind of a, I don't want to say it's a meme, but it's certainly an issue inside of Obsidian where you, you onboard someone and you say, okay, 
have a look at the community plugins. There's almost 1,000 now to look through. <laughs> and a lot of them do the same thing. So there's the same sort of problem inside the plugin community. And then you have the same issue with searching it online information is, well, do I want this plugin? Do I need that plugin? Which one do I use? Which ones don't I use? Fear of missing out. Do I need to use this one? Everyone else is using that one. So I don't want loads of people to suddenly create loads of plugins and a lot of them not have much value, but then value is in the, the eye of the beholder. <laughs> so it may be valuable for 10 people, whereas something like data view may be valuable for 500,000 people. Uh, so I would want people to develop, but be cognizant that not everyone can use every plugin at once. Um, but yes, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult question inside of the tech industry and matching the developers want to add stuff uh, and the consumers want to just do the work. Yes. So to round out, do you have any, so talking you know, beyond tools specific, just more generally, people who are living in a world of lots of information, they want to develop their knowledge, keep on top of everything. You know, what, what's any high level advice you would give for people who are on that journey saying, all right, well, what is it that I should do? How do I, how do I uh, become more effective at this? My, my go-to, the, the thing that's coming to mind first is enjoy the process. And when, when I say that, I, I don't mean enjoy the processes in, oh yeah, I'm watching loads of TikTok videos, I'm enjoying this. I, I mean, actually enjoy thinking about something. Everyone naturally when you're born is curious and you want to learn. Children want to learn. That's why they're asking why and poking things and making mistakes and failing all the time. Then they go to school and the educational system has some quirks. Oh, I'll just leave it like that. Um, but uh when you're when you're enjoying the learning, you follow your curiosity. You you follow those questions, and that's what I would urge you to do. If you do get distracted and you're like, "Oh, actually, that's a really interesting question," find a place to write down the question, or write down your thoughts, or just record an audio clip on your phone or wherever, and just have fun exploring the information and asking questions. Because inevitably, you'll gain expertise just by exploring what you're interested in. I think that's fabulous advice, and we all have. Yeah, I think the human brain is extraordinary. It's the most amazing thing we know of in the universe. And uh, I think we can easily enjoy using it more just by, uh, you know, I suppose, digging into the things that we, we find and discover and uh, imagine along the way. Thank you so much for your time, Danny. That's been a fantastic uh, conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.